Hi everyone, I'm Anna Close. And I'm Paul Jabroni, and this is the Engineering History Podcast. If you want to hear about where engineering and history collide, then you're at the right show. Today, we have a very, very special episode, a collaboration with one of our favorite podcasts, I Maybe think. Maybe ever? Maybe ever. <laughs> um, a popular history of unpopular things hosted by the incredibly talented Kelly, Kelly Beard. Beard. Big fans of this podcast, folks. Um, and and to actually get to do one with her uh, was incredible. You'll hear the subject matter when we get into it. And uh, I don't feel like keeping people from it too much longer. So I don't either. All right. Well, then, without further ado, here is our podcast with Kelly Beard, a popular history of unpopular things. Cool. Oh. All right. <laughs> All right. We're live. Hi, yeah. everybody. Hello. Hi. So this is a combo podcast, and today we're going to be talking all about the Battle of Alicia. Uh, my name, if you don't know who I am, is Kelly Beard, and I run the A Popular History of Unpopular Things podcast. I'm Paul Ciparoni. I'm uh, one half of the Engineering History podcast, and I, I just cut <laughs> off my co-host. <laughs> um, I'm Anna Close, and I'd like to say I'm the better half of the Engineering History podcast. <laughs> Just I like it. I like gate. it. <laughs> well, she just did. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I I don't have a rebuttal, so that should say something. <laughs> um, all right. So today's episode is awesome, and it's something that we both super love. It's all about ancient Rome and a lot of engineering mm-hmm. and a lot of history. And it's going to be great. Yeah. We're very excited. Yeah. To we go we over said this. this offline, but we're yes, yeah, very excited and big fans of your podcast as well. Yeah. yeah, well, I love yours too. Everybody should go listen because engineering and history are very much tied together. Yeah, for sure. And so is history and uh, bloody, disgusting things. <laughs> oh well, of course. I mean, that's the best part of history. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Nobody, that's, that's nobody true. sits around to like learn. I don't know, like American government and the Constitution. Like that's that's the worst. Well, I know it's awful. important, but like also, it's really boring. It's <laughs> like the broccoli. It's like you eat your vegetables Ugh. so you can get to the the good stuff. <laughs> All right, so why don't we start off by talking a little bit about like the context, which is my thing. So what's going on in the period of time? Why are the Romans there? Who is this dude? Sound good? Yeah. Sounds great. Fabulous. All right, so let me let me give a brief context on what's going on here. So the Battle of Alicia takes place in France. And, and Paul, I think you can go into the geography in a little bit more. But so it takes place in France. And the Romans are in France because they are trying to rapidly build this large swath of land. I don't want to call it an empire yet because Rome is not technically an empire yet. But they're like expanding outwards into France, right? Oh, in fact, they go all the way up into Britain at some point. Have you guys ever heard of Hadrian's Wall? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's an episode in the future, probably. (laughs) Right? It has to be. Hadrian's Wall, which is basically like cutting off Scotland, because who likes the Scots, really? But like, (laughs) (laughs) I can say that. I have Scottish family. Okay, Um, we do too, so it's cool now. All right. Great, great. We're good. We're good. (laughs) No, so like, they're, they're trying to take down France, right? And in the 50s BCE, that's before the Common Era, so like before zero. So in the 50s BCE, they find themselves changing facing down the Gauls, G-A-U-L. It's the people who predate the French, essentially. And the leader of the Gauls is a man named Vercingetorix. Love that guy. Great Love name. Vercingetorix, <laughs> by the way, has like the world's most luxurious mustache. <laughs> the depictions it's, really went crazy. We've seen statues. We've seen paintings. Yeah. It's a lot. Like it's a full on like shampoo commercial grade 
mustache. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean? Absolutely it's, beautiful. You should look it up. If you're listening, go look up Vercingetorix. <laughs> He's just yeah. fabulous, fabulous. <laughs> so, like um, oh, it is though. The Fabio of mustaches. <laughs> the Fabio of mustaches, yeah. Done. That's who he is now. So um, they're chasing down the Gauls starting in 58 BCE and Vercingetorix is slippy, right? They're having a really hard time nailing him down and fighting him because even though we all talk about, and this is Julius Caesar, by the way, is doing all this chasing down. We always talk about Caesar as this great general and he was, don't get me wrong, but history is written by the victors, right? So, oh, spoiler, the Romans win the battle. But we don't hear about Vercingetorix, but he's equally as amazing as uh, a general. So he's, and we'll talk a little bit about how he, he gets there a little bit later on. So he's chasing down Vercingetorix, and the final showdown happens in 52 BCE, and it's the Battle of Elysia, which is like this huge culminating battle. And in that battle is where we see like engineering marvels. It's incredible what the Romans are able to do. Uh, which of course is is for you guys to tell us because you're the you're the engineer <laughs> but it's so they're, they're there they're trying to take it down caesar's trying to get some glory right he's trying to get all this land for rome he thinks that if he can win these battles perhaps he can come back to rome and be in control be in charge um i'll, I'll talk a little bit about the senate later on it's it's a really difficult political situation but this is like his his moment to shine and, and it all kind of boils down to Alicia and what happens there, which is pretty, pretty fun. Awesome. Cool. So do we want to get into, uh, I guess, how, how we're, we're going tactically, how this, how this sort of campaign is going and, and sort of what each force kind of looks like at this point? Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Cool. So uh, we can kind of think of the Roman army as kind of two groups, right? So it's the Romans versus the Gauls and the Gauls are, are, are led by Vercingetorix at this point, but the Roman army, not, not a, a series of characters that you'd necessarily want to mess with, especially sort of the first part, which is the heavy infantry, right? So these are, mm. these are the heavy hitters. Uh, if, if you're imagining, for example, like a, a, a Roman legionary, maybe even a modern day reenactor. I saw a lot of reenactment pictures <laughs> during the research for this. Um, that, that's who you're picturing, right? They have heavy weapons. They have heavy armor. They have the gladius or the gladius, uh, um, which is their sword. It's a dope sword. They have spears. They have, you know, you can kind of think of them like a, like a U.S. Army Ranger. They're, they're super yeah. cool guys. Trained, highly disciplined, standing army. They're drilling all the time. Then, you know, you have kind of the second half of the army, which is the auxilia or the auxiliary units. Um, these guys are like Roman ally states. They're still volunteers typically, um, but they're, you know, they're like your, uh, your average dude in the Air Force. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> Ooh, shots fired. Just saying that because I'm in aerospace, uh, all, all love and respect. <laughs> There's a friendly banter, but um, uh, yeah, you know. They, they they vary widely in weapons, leadership, and armor. They're generally a little less disciplined. You know, they're not they're not mm. going to kick in the door on like Osama bin Laden's compound per se. Um, they're they're you know kind of your 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 helper guys. Um, and then Kelly, I noticed we we have this research here, and I noticed uh, you you kind of laid a distinction here about the Roman Republic versus the Roman Empire. Yeah, no, so it's pretty interesting stuff. You've you've got this. Uh, really awesome military that they've got, right? With the, with the auxiliary units and the main units, and they're really disciplined and really focused. But that starts to change around the time of this battle, which I actually think is pretty interesting. So 
during the Battle of Alesia and all of Julius Caesar, this is technically a period of Rome known as the Roman Republic, right? The Roman Republic began back in 509 BCE. Without getting too much into it, they took power from a group called the Etruscans, and they, they settled Rome, right? And here we go, Rome, 509 BCE. And for hundreds of years, they remained as a republic. That's more or less what we built a lot of our government structure over with the Senate and the balance of power, right? You've, you've got someone kind of in control, but a Senate to back uh, or rather to check their power a bit. And it stays that way until 27 BCE. And a little bit later on, we'll talk about why it changes. But all of this is going on during the years of the Republic. They're trying to grow, become really large, have a bunch of vassal states, make a lot of money. And that whole army that you just talked about are loyal to Rome, right? They fight for Rome. They are Roman soldiers. But it's about this period of time, right before the Battle of Alesia, that things are starting to change. One of the most famous civil wars in Rome was, it's just the Roman Civil War. I wish I had a cooler name. <laughs> the first Roman Civil War was fought between two generals, General Marius and General Sulla. Um, uh, long story short, it, it ended up changing the format of the military so that you're no longer a soldier for Rome, but you would identify as perhaps a soldier for General Marius or a soldier for General Sulla. And so it, it like changed to almost a mercenary style army. They were trained by Rome with all those great things that Paul was just talking about, but then they weren't loyal to Rome anymore. They were loyal to the general who would offer them land and more money and the spoils of war. So it's really interesting that things are, even though they're really uh, trained properly from the Romans, they're starting to shift a bit, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's actually a great kind of springboard to think about how we can think about the Gallic force uh, at, at mm. this time. Because um, if if the sort of the Romans are loyal to their generals at uh, kind of in, in that era, these guys are like essentially a confederacy, right? They're not really a unified army the same way Rome is, right? Mm. Um, if any, I even use the word insurgency in the research, and and I, and I think that's kind of accurate. They're they're not a disciplined standing army with routine drills, super hierarchical leadership, or or even advanced tactics. Um, you know, they're they're like a tribe, and they kind of got together with the other tribes, and they're like, you know, like why are we why are we putting up with these Roman guys? Like, let's just like do our own thing. But Vercingetorix is like the first time you see like a guy really try to unify. Uh, everybody mm. into more than really a, a, a confederacy and and that variance also extends to how these guys are outfitted so i said you know the the heavy infantry are kind of like army rangers these guys it, it really depends like if you're a wealthy gaul uh yeah you'll be really well equipped kind of in the same way i don't know if you've seen like like folks who like just have like insane home arsenals and and like outfitting <laughs> and stuff like that like maybe kind of prepper types uh you know you could do (laughs) who come up on 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 the ehp fairly often weirdly but (laughs) but um but but you you have those guys obviously but that's not your average uh joe or maybe i should say pierre or or whatever (laughs) um uh you know usually you're just gonna have like a sword and shield right but or i'm sorry a spear and shield you might have a sword um that said, you know, on average, these guys do have a couple of advantages over the Romans. Uh, so first, they exist within a warrior culture already, right? Um, they would have grown up revering acts of bravery and courage, and they would be kind of raiding throughout their lives, right? So the same tribes that are kind of all in this confederacy now, they grew up raiding each other and and sort of pillaging, uh, e- even at some times. 
Um, and, and because of that kind of experience, they're actually also a little more nimble. So their cavalry is big, right? You're doing smash and grab stuff. So you need a good cavalry. The Romans cavalry, by contrast, is actually not even as good as theirs. Uh, and also just physically, they're more intimidating people. They're taller. They're often more muscular. And, and you know, that maybe doesn't matter as much these days. But back in the day, you know, it's like physical, like I'm clashing swords and spears and, and stuff at you. That's a big deal, especially because of the reach advantage. If you have longer oh, arms, absolutely. you could just cut some dude's head off. I mean, not really, but like you could definitely reach them <laughs> more easily than, than they could. You're right. Um, and, and just to maybe even kind of double click. So that's kind of the micro, right? But kind of double click on the macro, which I kind of alluded to before. You know, the Gauls aren't this unified fighting force. They're not mm. SEAL Team 6. They're like a bunch of guys who kind of came together and they're sort of, you know, it's it's actually incredible that they managed to unify it to the extent they did. But one of the things we'll see Vercingetorix really like realized was that that can only take you so far and you need to have a really it's not a confederacy. It needs to be a coalition. Right. Um, but he wasn't really getting people on board uh, in time. And that's kind of the state we find these guys for our story, because Caesar, by the way, is leveraging these internal divisions and, and sort of playing them against each other. Oh, definitely. I mean, I know that he managed to get some of the other Gallic troops who weren't on Team Vercingetorix to join yeah. him for a bit, which is pretty interesting. Classic sure. tactic, and really smart. 100%, especially if you're the existing power structure. And and some of those auxilia that we mentioned before were actually sometimes Gallic tribes. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really cool. It's always smart, though, to use the local people who are knowledgeable about the power structure and, and the military and stuff like that. That makes total sense. For sure. Um, maybe before we get into like the construction of you know the the wall and stuff like that, and more into like the battle itself, could we go over like the geography of Elysia? Because the oh, yeah yeah Caesar definitely used that to his advantage when when uh, blockading the the Gallic uh, warriors. That makes total sense. Thank you for calling that out, Anna. And, and <laughs> no, I, I wasn't a call out. No, no, no. Not, not like in a in a call out way. I mean, more like in a in a I didn't read what we had written down way. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So so why don't we contextualize this geographically? So so if you're thinking of the planet Earth, right? Um, it's where th this whole deal is going to happen. Where in modern day France, Kelly mentioned that the Gauls are kind of like sort of ancient predecessors to the French, uh, sort of, you know, very generally, obviously, but that's, that's a good framework to think of it about the closest modern city that I could find that's kind of near this area is Dijon, um, which you might know from the mustard, um, <laughs> delicious, or yeah. delicious, mu so much better than yellow mustard. I'll, I'll die on this hill. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I want like yeah. coarse chunks of mustard seed in my mustard. Yes. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. If that I don't ain't want crunchy, mustard. I don't want it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it, it sounds like we're all picking this hill to die on. And that's, that's... We, can, we can die on it together. Yeah. Speaking of hills. Yes. Yeah. yeah, speaking of hills <laughs> to die on. Um, Elysia itself <laughs> um, is a fort. Uh, so Elysia, of course, is, is the town where this all, this all is going to take place. It's a fort that exists on a hill, or we could even think of it more like a plateau, uh, a steep plateau called uh, Mount... Uh, oh boy. And, and Kelly, I'm not going to take your advice from your, your wonderful most recent episode where you did not try to pronounce the, the French things. Oh yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take a crack at this. So this is Mount, 
Oxios, <laughs> um, uh, which is a really good strategic position to be in because you're at the top of this hill. So you already have the height advantage. And then the hill itself is surrounded by rivers called Os and Osarain. I, I think that's an approximation of what you'd call it. Uh, there's only a few ways, and because of the rivers, there's only a few ways you can go up the plateau, and the fort is obviously fortified in those locations. And Vercingetorix just ups the ante when he gets there because he orders a trench to be dug between the two rivers. So now they're sharing water. Now the approach just got that much more uh, difficult. So you're in a really, really what they'd call a hard target um, uh, for the Romans here. That sounds like a really good place to build a fort <laughs> for the Great Gauls. Place. Yeah. Ten out yeah, of ten. Really, placement. really easy. Yeah, absolutely. Would would definitely Airbnb there again. It sounds like <laughs> the perfect place to, to build a fort because it's it would be really hard to to get to it, you know, to impregnate the fort. So that's that's pretty cool. So how would you even how would you even build walls? Like I know walls are kind of the main story here. Like how how do they even how? <laughs> Well, that's a great question. Um, there's like a lot of nearby uh, woodlands and stuff like that. And um, so a lot of what Caesar and his forces did is they kind of just like chopped down the wood, um, the woods and um, use those as like uh, sort of for, for the construction for like, um, like terraces or like uh, platforms and stuff like that. And they also would they also dug their own trenches as well. But theirs was a little bit better um, because they diverted some of the water and from the nearby rivers and whatever excess like uh, whatever excess dirt they used from the trenches, they used to like um, pack it up so that their like platforms and terraces could be on a higher elevation so that they had like an advantage, a high point advantage. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um I'm glad you asked that question because we can now get into the design and construction of not just one, but potentially two walls that were used in this like blockade that Caesar did. Um, So Paul mentioned that there was a trench dug um, by Vercingetorix, but a lot of this was on the east side of Lycia. And um, Caesar did all of his work mostly on the west side, but there was the, the first wall was almost like completely like a complete perfect circle. I think there were some spots where they encountered like really rough terrain where they couldn't like they couldn't, you know, complete the wall, but other than that, like it was completely surrounded this um this town and uh the whole length was around 11 miles and it was about 12 feet high and was constructed within 3 weeks. That is crazy. Yeah. It only took him three weeks to do 11 miles of wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And as I mentioned before, there was... Oh, sorry. No, that's like impressive. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Like these... I have to imagine these guys had... Well, actually, I think they were pretty used to like digging out trenches and making like terraces and towers because um, there was somewhere that I read that Caesar's Legion's were like really good at this kind of combat engineering and they um, obtained like specialized and skilled craftsmanship um, necessary for this sort of manpower because like every time they like set up a camp, they were like digging ditches and stuff like that. So this was just like a normal day for them, except maybe like a little (laughs) bit longer. So 
they were yeah the romans they had their engineering they had their engineering down pat for sure yeah yeah and this is only just the first wall the second wall is even longer wow yeah so as i mentioned before there's like different different parts to this um to this design and construction there was like the terraces which were kind of the um the dugout earth from the trenches that were sort of used as like molds for the towers um and then there were the actual towers themselves which were just like you know four big logs and then like a 10 by 10 foot sort of platform and then on the inside of the wall they they set up military deterrence um which were just basically like um you know like they had these really interesting names for them like the field of lilies this was one of the deterrent (laughs) yeah essentially what it was was like a cone-like ditch that they that they dug out and then they would put like stakes in them like sharpened (laughs) sharpened wooden stakes and the um the caesar's like force called them field of lilies because they looked like flowers (laughs) yeah that's very (laughs) until someone fell in it yeah exactly until someone fell in it and then the flower blooms yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very i'm a big fan of names so i really like this (laughs) this name i feel like it was pretty accurate like just looking at pictures, it did kind of look like a flower, but just a little bit more deadly. So Pointy. yeah, exactly. And then they also, you know, they did a, uh, they had this sort of like more wooden stakes and stuff like that. You know, the classic. Um, they had a, a V-shaped ditch um, that was used closer to closer to the interior of the wall, and the reason that and it was about like a, a meter or so deep, and the reason it was like a v shape was because the surface width and depth and steep sides of this ditch made it difficult for attackers to traverse Mm. because this the the ditch shape was prone to erosion so if you got caught in it and you tried to dig your way out it just was not possible it would just fall apart on you exactly um and that's amazing i know these guys really know a lot about civil engineering it's really cool (laughs) and impressive yeah they use it to their advantage for sure and then they had another ditch somewhat close to the V-shaped one that was trapezoidal, which was um, known to avoid this erosion problem. And it just diverted water from the, the nearby river. So, you know, people would fall in it and, and drown and die. And then, you know, oh the, ones that, <laughs> the ones that did make it across would just get stuck in this other ditch and they had no way of crawling out because it was, you know, it was like just very hard to get out of. Sounds a bit like a no man's land. Yeah, it it yeah. really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had there's also this really cool thing called stimuli, which I <laughs> I don't I don't know where they where they got some of these like materials. Like it, they used iron hooks, and it, that's not like naturally occurring in nature. So I'm assuming that they brought it along with them. But they attached oh, like a combat forge. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But um, they basically, like, uh, attached these iron hooks on the end of these wooden blocks. And then they would bury the wooden blocks so only the hooks would be noticeable. So if there was some kind of, like, night raid. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So you're getting – so do you get stuck and then you're, like, like you can't leave? Yeah. I mean, basically you're, you know – your body's You're broken. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh Jesus. 
All right. So, so the geography itself already kind of lended itself. Elysia is like this, this impregnable fortress, but then the Romans show up and they're like, no, we're going to yes. divert all the water away, mm-hmm. dig ditches to trap y'all in here and then wall you in. Basically. Yeah. yeah. They were fucked. They, were, crazy. they were very fucked. It's pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of amazing. They took sort of the natural advantage of like, you can't, you know, you, you can't storm this fortress. They're like, okay, we're going to make it extra not stormable. <laughs> and then we're just going to like leave because now you can't do anything. Yeah. I, that's crazy. So no, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I like to imagine Caesar being a little shyster that he is. He's like, we're doing you guys a favor. We're making sure no one gets in with all yeah, these yeah. nice walls. Yeah, right. And Bruce and Jenner is like, oh my God, we're... We're so screwed. <laughs> How nice yeah. of you. So, yeah. <laughs> speaking of versing Gatorix, by the way, um, so th- let's let's briefly kind of like con- contextualize like why he's there again, right? Because now now right. he's walled in. Mm-hmm. So versing Gatorix ends up. Um, Paul mentioned how he is now leader of the Gauls, right? So essentially, like Paul said, they realized that they couldn't fight as individual groups. They kind of had to like come together as one unified force. And I always do this. So sorry, but it reminds me a lot of uh, the Mongols, right? The Mongols were exactly the yes. same way. They were, they were <laughs> like my favorite group in history. Love the, the, the Mongols. Mongols were very much the same way. They were individual family kinship groups. And then they realized that it, it actually, I have to expand this out even more now, total tangent. It, it actually had to do a lot with um, global temperature and climate change. There was a, a heat wave, more or less, that was affecting the world around the late 1400s, early 1500s. No, sorry, wrong time period. The, uh, the, the early 1200s, late 1100s, early 1200s. The other one was an ice age. So um, what was happening was the Mongols, who were primarily pastoral herders, right? All the grasses were dying and all of their animals couldn't feed anymore. So they realized if they were going to survive as a people, they had to move south into China. But like the Gauls, they couldn't do it if they weren't unified. So they elected Genghis Khan to be the first uh, Khan, the first ruler of the Mongols. And something kind of similar happens here with Vercingetorix. They realize that the Romans are going to annihilate them if they don't band together and work as one cohesive group. And so Vercingetorix was kind of elected their leader, uh, probably because of the mustache. <laughs> that no would doubt. that would be my that would be my guess. Probably the mustache. Um, and he, <laughs> it's got to be There's right. Like I mean, one other guy. Yeah, no. For, he had like a bald rival, and then everybody was just yeah, like, no. "Come on, dude! Like, what are you what are you doing?" It's like, yeah, man, we're going with Mister Stash over here. For sure. So they they <laughs> so they unify under Vercingetorix, and then Vercingetorix like goes really hard on training his men, even more so because, like you said, they were already trained. It reminds me a bit of the Spartans, actually. Like they they or even the Zulu, right? They come from this like already super militarized outfit. But then Vercingetorix is like, no, we got to go even harder. We only have a shield, uh, a shield and a spear, basically, and the Romans have a lot more than that. So we need to be able to attack. And so for a couple of years, they saw some success. Um, I, I was doing some research, and there was this one battle at a, a Roman settlement called Cenobum in 53 BCE, so a year before Elysia, which is now Orleans, by the way, in France. It's like south of Paris and kind of like in the middle of France, west of uh, where Alicia takes place. And he ends up killing all of the Romans there, right? Oh. He's like, if we're going to do this, we got to go hard. So he murdered, like a Mongol, I guess, all of them, right? So yeah. they all got completely slaughtered. And Caesar's like, 
uh, no. <laughs> Caesar chases the man down. Yeah, he's like, that's not going to stand. So Caesar, who's like chasing this guy across France, he rolls up back up into Cenobum, recaptures it in the name of the Romans, and is like, that's it. This dude is going down, right? So <laughs> he chases him to Alicia. And I think the geography of Alicia meant that once Vercingetorix was chased in there, there was no getting out. And then yeah. those walls that Anna just told us about trapped them in even further. So now Vercingetorix, unfortunately for him, is stuck on this plateau. He's stuck behind these walls and he can't really get out. Um, I want to talk about the between the wall thing, but I feel like we need to talk <laughs> about the second set of walls before we do that. Yeah, so, for sure. Okay, so yeah, the second set of walls. Um, so as soon as, you know, that Caesar and his army sort of set up the circumvallation which was the first wall um they like they kind of realized you know like relief forces are going to come through you know there was you know the, i think a small portion of uh vercingetorix uh army managed to get through like a a weak point in the walls and send out for help which i mean we can get into later sort of like what happened but um you know caesar was like all right fuck that we're just going to <laughs> do a bigger wall and <laughs> i mean you know like like we like we said earlier like these guys were amazing at like combat engineering and civil engineering so like this mm. also didn't take that long for them to to design and construct and the second set of walls was called the contravallation and um it was about 13 miles long yeah so Ooh, two miles longer i know i guess yeah. it would have yeah. to be if it's the outer side. yeah exactly yeah yeah but something a little bit different than the the inner wall it didn't completely like go around like the circumvallation did since it was like even more like longer it it did it hit more of like the the rockier parts of the mountainside that was surrounding alicia so it was more of just like instead of it being a wall that like completely surrounded the town it was more of like a really big fortification and like an open space on the west side and then sort of like forts along the uh along the mountains that sur that surrounded uh Alicia. So it wasn't like a complete wall like the circumvallation was. Even though the circumvallation like wasn't totally complete either, but yeah. That makes sense though. I mean, use the geography, use what you got. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think we rounded off for the Romans. I think these guys did a great job, you know. Yeah, I am not I, yeah, 10 out of 10 like engineering and and combat engineering as well. Like I don't I don't want to put them down. Like their work was amazing. And everything. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm defensive cuz Italians often don't get engineering credit, you know, except for Aww. like Ducati, so. <laughs> just the Romans. Yeah. Yeah, just the Romans. Yeah, your dark ages are a little bit longer, I guess. <laughs> and um, all that, so all of that, like, military deterrence that I told you guys about that was on the inside of the of the first wall, like the field of lilies and the, um, what was it, the wooden blocks with the iron hooks, they are now also on the outside of the second wall. So, oh man, yeah. So it's like a, that's like a, a a hoop of death. You know, you like get through one, <laughs> then you have this wall, then you have the next thing, and it's like not the not to mention the natural fortification. Yeah, I have to imagine. I like have to imagine like the Gallic army that was inside Alicia was like, oh my god, can you please stop with this wall bullshit? Like this is too I know. much. Well, then there were a lot of them too. There were like somewhere around eighty thousand 
people inside Elysia. I think more actually, if you factor in the the women and children and the the yeah. old people. Yeah. But then it wasn't just that too, and and I think that's why the Romans had to build that second wall. Is they had friends, you know, mm-hmm. outside. They had like a huge relief army of almost like a quarter of a million men, which for wow. BCE is a <laughs> lot of people. Yeah. Tons. And and from what I could tell, at least the reading I was doing is like they were really banking on these guys showing up and kind of bailing <laughs> yeah. them out, you know, yeah. and they did show up. But unfortunately, for them, <laughs> the Romans had built that second wall and the Romans were ready. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. it's it's crazy. Um, in fact, the Romans at one point even um, to, to kind of bring up somebody who's going to show up later in the podcast, but the, the Romans called for backup, essentially, and they got Mark Antony, who yeah. later becomes one of, who, not not the singer, by the way, we're not talking about <laughs> Dalo's ex, wrong Mark Antony. Um, uh, oh, but Mark okay, Antony, I was confused. Yeah, no, not him, he's too suave for this, uh, but he... <laughs> No, so Mark Anthony, who who fun fact, uh, basically ended up sleeping with Julius Caesar's ex wife, well ex lover, I should say. There's there's a lot of social drama here. Uh, but the Mark Anthony, who later becomes part of the the leadership of Rome right before it becomes an empire, he comes in with like this relief force, and because of the wall system that Caesar had his troops build, uh, was able to prevent the Gauls from bailing out Vercingetorix. So Dupe was yeah. just stuck behind the walls with no reinforcements. Man, I have to imagine his uh, hair care routine was lacking during this time. Oh, man. <laughs> oh no. His mustache, doesn't have a his mustache got, like, dirty. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he certainly There's... didn't have a lot of food stuck in it because food was issue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. What a segue. <laughs> yeah, right? World's greatest segue. No, so so – they have all these men in the walls, right? And and you have to think, and this is like classic military strategy. If you look at all military strategies, the first thing you go for is supply lines, right? In 100%. any battle ever, just, you know, all you listeners out there who are planning on starting a battle, you go for the <laughs> supply lines first, right? You got to knock out the supply lines because if your enemy could bring in more troops and more ammo and more food, well, then you're just going to be fighting forever. And this was the problem with World War One and the trench warfare, which is going on forever and ever and ever because yeah. everybody had good supply lines but Vercingetorix doesn't right and and that's because of these amazing two walls that were built literally locking them inside and we call this a, a war of attrition right a war of attrition is basically starve them out and it worked right oh. they only had so much food inside this walled settlement stuck up on a plateau right really great for defending but not great for getting in resources so poor Vercingetorix well I don't know if I could say poor because he's pretty brutal too he's up there <laughs> With like 80,000 plus people stuck behind this walled sediment and he has to make a choice. He is very quickly going to run out of food. They have a decent amount of grain, but they're going to run out of it, right? So what do we do? We've got all of these soldiers who we need to fight against the Romans if we stand a chance. We've got men and women and children and we've got all of these excess people and they're going to run out of food, right? So here's where it gets real messed up. And it wasn't even, and this is the crazy part, it wasn't even just Vercingetorix, he held like a council. <laughs> so he had like all the elders <laughs> and all the important people of the Gauls all come together and these dudes just, and it was definitely just dudes, all sat down <laughs> around a table, right? There were definitely no women at this table, things would have gone differently. And they sat down and they're like, right, so what do we do about our food situation, right? Because at this point, Roman's out here building the second wall, we're all going to die in this ditch of field of lilies, right? So like, we're going to die. 
So they decide in order to stand a fighting chance literally against the Romans, they need to kick out anybody in Elysia who can't physically fight. Right? Oh. So women, children, the elderly, anybody with any basically anybody who couldn't pick up a sword and or, or, or a spear and a shield and fight were kicked out of Elysia. But Elysia is now walled off and there's all of these traps, right? So they send them between the walls. They're stuck between these walls. And the idea was, Vercingetorix is like, listen, Caesar's a, a, a nice guy. Maybe, I don't know. He's, he's got a soul and a conscience, right? right? Maybe, I don't know. Good luck out there. And he sent out all of the men who couldn't fight, the elderly, the women, and the children. And he sends them between the walls straight for Caesar in the hopes that Caesar would take pity on these these civilians right these innocents and would save them and bring them back on the other side and feed them and caesar's like yeah no <laughs> like absolutely absolutely not right um they because they, there was only about a month's worth of food rations anyway so now we've got a situation where we've got all these gaulish gaulish gallic gallic men women and children and elderly stuck between the walls they can't go beyond the settlement because caesar won't let them pass they can't go back because vercingetorix won't let them in and so they're stuck between these walls and they just Aww. starve to death Oh my gosh! Imagine yeah, like watching it. that. You're like in Elysia, and like they both you know, did. I know they both did. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and you've probably I, yeah. got like you might even have like the husband whose wife and kid was just sent out there. Like, oh watching, yeah, and can't do anything about it. They're just stuck there, and they just starve to death. Maybe some kids fell in the field of lilies. I don't <gasps> oh, know, God. but like. Uh. Oh my Listen, gosh. it probably happened. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. But, but it's, that's uh, it. Honestly, yeah, I, I, I think at, at a certain point, like me personally, I would probably be like, well, I'm not getting out of this, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's a brutal thing. I mean, it's, it's, I mean the food situation was serious. It, in that meeting of like definitely just men sitting around a table <laughs> deciding the fate of the entire settlement, they, they even kept cannibalism on the table. <gasps> Whoa. Right? So, yeah. So they had discussed, like, <laughs> if we get to a point where we run out of grain, do we eat each other um, to survive so we can keep fighting the the Romans? And they didn't get to that point. There's no evidence to suggest that they did engage in cannibalism. Unfortunately, I do love a good I thing. know, yeah, you're we, a big yeah. fan. Right? I don't know why. Like, half of my podcasts are about cannibalism, okay. but I don't intend <laughs> I don't intend for that to happen. No, but they, they kept oh. that on the table as a last resort. And and there's no there's no evidence to suggest that they went there. But they clearly were were willing to make radical decisions because they sent out met like the elderly and women and children basically to their deaths. And they had to just sit there and watch them die as they were also slowly dying of starvation inside the city. Rough. Yeah, no. That's From not their nice. perspective, you know, it's just kind of like, well, either we're all going to die or like we have a small chance of like living. Right. So like I yeah, can kind of sympathize. You know, 100%. obviously it's, it's not. Yeah. If you if you take the morality out of it and you take the feelings out of it, it's it's a good military tactic. It's the cold like, logical. It yeah. is. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing for Caesar though. He could have been the nice guy and taken all these people in and shipped them down to Rome and, and made them convert yeah. to, to Romans. But like, why would he? Right? It's 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 brilliant military strategy. It's cold and it's heartless, but it is a brilliant military move because it's also going to destroy the morale of Vercingetorix yes. and his men in Elysia, right? They they went to this fortress, they're on this plateau, like, got this. We got like the world's greatest fortress. They're not gonna get in. Oh, they're boxing us in. 
oh yeah. crap, we can't get food. <laughs> and so now like, they realize they've made this horrible mistake. There's no way out. The reinforcements aren't arriving because Caesar and his men are, are taking care of business. They are literally walled into their fortress and they're all slowly starving to death. I mean, it's so that they have to make this heart wrenching decision to send out their women and their kids. But then Caesar was just like, yeah, no, we're just going to we're just going to leave them there. Oh. Yeah, like, it's, it's almost more brutal. Military. For sure. And and Caesar's, I think, more brutal because Vercingetorix, you know, like when you think about it, I mean, not defending his actions or anything, but like I think he was making like a cold, logical choice with Caesar. He has the resources to like, you know, send these guys off to Rome. Like he's using them as a pawn essentially to like break the morale Absolutely. of everybody in the fort. Yeah. You know what, though? I think it was the right move. I mean, it's, it's this battle. <laughs> oh, it's, no. it's cold, man. It's cold. It's cold it goes move. down in history. It goes down in history. It's like one of the greatest battles of, of the Roman period. I mean, it's 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 as like up there as um, uh, the the Punic Wars against the Carthaginians, oh, yeah. right? The Romans oh, yeah. winning all of these battles against like their classic enemy. Like, yeah, okay. Carthage was like the big enemy. Salt the earth. At the time for the for the 200s, absolutely, way back then. But like this is like their new Carthage is taking down the Gauls. And this yeah. is like this is the final battle. This is it. If the Romans can win, then like that's it. The the yeah. the, the Gauls came together under Vercingetorix and they had all of this attempt to take over and, and withstand the Roman invasion of their land. And if the Romans can win, they win. They can destroy the Gauls. They can take Vercingetorix back to Rome. They can execute him in front of everybody and be like, Romans are in. Everybody else sucks, right? Yeah. And and no, so it, so he was faced with this decision and he chose to be like, nah, we don't, we're good. Y'all yeah. can starve. No, I, I was reading some of like Caesar's account, you know, like his Gallic Wars like book and like he was pumped. He was like, yeah, we kicked ass. We did great. Like, you know? They did though. That's the thing. Yeah. wild and so they just the poor things they're stuck between these like incredible walls and uh yeah they just kind of they just kind of died and we don't have any sources that tell us like what it was like because obviously these people aren't really literate and they're, they're not, not writing, writing this sources. down it's not like monty python where they're scribbling on the walls like, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's talking it's about like, like, and like we're like, dying and ah! <laughs> <laughs> like they're not writing sources and and the romans and the gauls also didn't write sources about those people but we can imagine they just starved to death yeah um, probably so maybe were killed yeah <laughs> No, Honestly, you. if I was in the fort, I wouldn't write it down either. I'd be like, I'm <laughs> yeah. putting this part of my life behind me. <laughs> yeah. And and it sucks too because Vercingetorix wouldn't let him back in because they needed the yeah. food. Like if they if they yeah. stood any kind of chance against and the thing is there were way more Gauls than there were Romans. There Caesar only had like sixty thousand men. Right? Yeah. The Gauls had yeah. eighty thousand inside Elysia, and then like potentially huge estimates, right? Because early sources right. anywhere from a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand men outside. And yet the 60,000 Romans and then Mark, Mark Antony, when he came in with his friends too, um, were still able to withstand it. So Vercingetorix really didn't have a choice. He couldn't let them back in. So what I'm hearing That's is engineering like... is worth like 200,000 people, <laughs> give or take. A hundred percent. No, it's, it's wild. It's, it's because of the engineering. It's because of the walls that, that this battle is even famous, frankly. Like if it weren't for the yeah. walls and it weren't for all these things that they did, it would just be one of a series of battles. Because there were so many battles. This oh, one yeah. is, it's, it's all about those walls really. It made all the difference. Yeah. Let's go civil engineering. We, we kill people. <laughs> Yay. We did it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's mechanical, so get, get on civil for getting one. Yeah, <laughs> oh. got those walls. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's wild. But that that's that's my favorite bit, just as a as a historian who likes all things gross and unpopular. I just like the fact that that he had to come to that decision to send out his people and they just starved to death. Oh my rough. god. Rough. And it did so, and it so, didn't even make a difference. It didn't help. That's what I was gonna ask. So so this <laughs> like led to his victory, right? Nope. <laughs> Spoiler from the beginning. They lost, right? I mean, it's just no chance. You've they they are great soldiers and fine, right? And and sorry, I'm a historian. I have to make a million different comparisons. It, it reminds me when the Brits went down um, to South Africa and fought against the Zulu, right? In the six, uh, in, in the, the 1800s, right? So same thing. The Zulus, incredible warriors. They are just like the Spartans in terms of the way that they organize their society. It's very military-based, trained from an early age. All You eat, sleep, drink, war, right? They they bullied and took over other African groups in South Africa. They were They were all that a bag of chips down there and then the brits show up and it doesn't matter how good the zulu were as warriors they were swords and shields and spears versus guns right so at the end of the day it's all about engineering and military tech and just the romans just surpassed them incredibly and so they never stood a chance yeah yeah i'm reminded of i don't know if it was specifically about the zulus but i don't know if you've ever that heard that thing from the british empire about like all the great things about the people they're fighting and at the end of it is just like but we have the maxim gun and they have not <laughs> oh, so therefore exactly. like, it's like that's yeah. that's a showstopper <laughs> maxim machine gun i think that was 1881 that was invented and that thing yeah. just made all the difference all, all the, the difference. difference and i mean they were the first to invent the tank right like we we yeah. think about the germans and the blitzkrieg and their tanks mm-hmm. and german tanks are like top notch right the but Panzer. the Brits- first oh, invented yeah for the first invented they're mark one mark two i mean they made all the difference in um in uh the psalm right having That's those crazy. tanks there made all and we the still difference. use tanks so today about, yeah absolutely it's all about engineering and technology without it maybe the romans would have lost because they were certainly outnumbered um yeah but they built those walls right yes. and it's, yeah. just, it's so crazy <laughs> yeah it's really fascinating well, I guess instead of uh, the Brits saying we have the AK-47 or what what was the gun that was used? Uh, the Maxim. The Maxim. Oh, the Maxim. Yeah, yeah Caesar, Caesar just went up to Vercingetorix. It's like, we have a wall. Fuck you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Basically. That's crazy. So we've been we've been talking around the issue for a while now. Do we want to talk about how that how that went when uh, when Verse and Gatorix finally decided, all right, this probably isn't isn't going to be worth it or sustainable from here on out? Yeah, I mean, what do you even do at that point, right? You either fight to the death or you give up. Right, dude gave up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, he probably saved lives. You know, when you think about it. Mm. Um, there's there's a crazy painting. I don't know if you guys saw it in the research, but it's just him. Yeah. 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 And it's just him. And he's like, the dude is huge, flowing mane. Like, this is not the guy <laughs> who should be surrendering. But it, it, in a lot of ways, the the game was rigged from the start. And he's just, you know, hands it over. He he and the he and the homies laid down their arms. And uh I think I think most of them survived. Am I am I wrong about that? They did they did save a lot of them. I think some of them probably would have been brought in as mercenary armies too. Certainly, um, yeah. if you if you if you lay down and you you agree to fight with Rome, then they'll take you in. I mean, it's yeah, that would be a really bad move if you conquered peoples and then murdered them all. Right? You at the end yeah. of the day, you need a population too. So yeah, For no, sure. he saved some. He saved some and once it, they it, gave up and pledged loyalty. 
Uh, only then exactly and and that kind of it goes to i'm reminded of like the art of war i don't know what the exact quote is but it's essentially like you need to construct the easiest possible bridge for your enemy to surrender on and make the the forward advancement towards you the hardest possible for them right Mm -hmm. so in the back of these gauls minds at the end of the day they're like okay if we just surrender we're probably going to live we're going to be roman i don't know about roman citizens but we're definitely going to be you know we'll probably fight for rome i mean it's you know a lot of them probably like fighting for one guy basically the same fighting for another guy you know so um it, it had to be tempting for them and and then finally at the end it, it looks like verse and Gedrix just uh you know made that choice yeah but yeah they just oh sorry i was just gonna say like a lot of like you know a lot of them had to like let go of like their their culture was and and ties with the, the gallic tribes like and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't a lot of like the warriors that went into these battles? I don't know about the um, I don't know about this battle, but in particular, but didn't they like fight in the nude or something like that? They had to let that. I'm sure they had to let that <laughs> well, go. Yeah, when we they... definitely need to talk about that. <laughs> they, I, they had to let that go when See, they transferred to Rome. <laughs> it's probably oh, the man. right move because now I'm thinking Vercingetorix just like because he's a beast of a man mm-hmm. too. Like sure. it, it, accounts say that he was tall, flowing mustache. Yes. Oh yeah. And look, we're we're harping on the mustache, but dude also had a really nice head of hair. To be fair. Oh like, yeah, you know, it was like, a mane. Caesar was jealous. beautiful. Like I probably Caesar had the world's worst hairline. I just I imagine oh my God. That, like. <laughs> Like there's a fan blowing Vercingetorix's hair and mustache constantly. Just he's like, he's yeah, yeah, for sure, right? Yeah, he's, I'm gonna be honest, gal- guys. I'm like Fabio. a mad. No, for sure, and and I I gotta be real. I think he probably had a ten pack. Like I think you know, I think like one percent of the population is like a ten pack. <laughs> no, no, that's too far. Like, steroids or anything, but like I don't think they had that. But yeah, no, yeah, dude. Sure. I mean, he was he was. You know, there's a reason he was picked as, as head of the Gauls. And at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think in surrendering, he saved more people um, from certain death. I I wonder if having to watch his own people die between the walls made a difference for him. Oh, it, it had to. There's there's absolutely no way. I mean, like, because, yeah. you know, the whole point of it for him, I, I everything I've read, like, indicates he was a total true believer. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. he was that cynical about gaining power. I think he really just he wanted independence for the Gauls. And, yeah. you know, and but I him. think he's no, not at all. I mean, it's I, I, I love underdog stories. I, I love stuff <laughs> like this. So, like, it's it's hard to hear it actually kind of end this way, because, like, you just I mean, imagine being him. You're on the, the walls of, of the fort and you're just watching. And it's like you know you have to imagine that there's absolutely no escape at that point you've already tried um it's it's yeah. not going to happen your relief force isn't coming or they're coming but they're just getting like you know <laughs> getting slaughtered absolutely slaughtered so, yeah yeah so it's you know you're out of options and and you know it's it's in the same way that sending people out of the city was like a cold and rational choice i i think maybe at that point surrender was was the same yeah, I mean it's definitely the right move. And and once he surrendered, Vercingetorix got sent to Rome. You know, he's he's uh, a captive of Rome. Uh, he is eventually executed, um, but it's it's all about the glory of Rome at that point. Uh, and Caesar, of course, had gotten his victory. Right? He's he's out in Gaul anyway because he is trying to chase down victory and make a name for himself. So prior to prior to going, Caesar was actually part of what we call the first triumvirate, which was basically three men, hence tri, who were sort of kind of ruling over Rome. During the years of the Republic, Rome was was ruled by the Senate, I guess, technically. But there were three men, 
who ruled over it. One of them was Caesar, Julius Caesar. The other was uh, a man named Crassus. You can kind of forget about him. He's kind of useless. And then Pompey, right? Not Pompey, the city, Pompey. Um, Now, the three of them were ruling together, and Caesar was sent off into battle against the Gauls to make a name for himself because he was actually pretty young. He was relatively young when he started to gain political power. Um, and, and when he won, like that was his moment, right? Like he expected to come back to Rome and be lauded with all of like the, oh, you're the, oh, woo, Caesar, <laughs> woo, right? Like you got this, like you, you're, you're the best. And, and he wasn't gonna, yeah, well, exactly. They actually call them, oh God, what do they call them? Um, triumphs, oh, oh, right? Tri- yeah. Yeah. The and there was like, there's a triumph. And then there was also like the, oh man. It was like a 20 day, you know, period of like of celebration and stuff. It, triumph is probably the English word for it. I was trying to remember the Roman one. I won't though. I won't remember. It. <laughs> It'll be like tomorrow morning. You'll wake yeah, up and just like living. scream some random Italian word. Yeah. <laughs> or Latin get in. Word. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Caesar wants to come home and, and they have to clean up a little bit. He's not like a hundred percent done. They did win Alicia. Spoiler, right? So they, they capture Vercingetorix. He's sent to Rome ahead of time. And he's like, right, let me just clean up real fast another year or two. And then he's going to come home. Now, he he attempts to come home by around 50 BCE, right? And he expected to come home and and be triumphant, literally, and and be given this triumph. It's like 20 days of celebrations, and there's all of these... Oh, gosh. Y'all seen Gladiator, right? Mm -hmm. Please? Of course. Thank God. It's like my favorite film of all time. After Lord of the Rings, it's my... Oh, yeah. 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 It was like like when they came home uh, after that war, right? Even though... Marcus really died, got, like, but when yeah, when yeah. yeah he got straight up stabbed, which is also really historically inaccurate. But just, just <laughs> so Commodus, Joaquin Phoenix comes back, and it's like that triumphant music, and there's confetti, which probably didn't exist, and confetti in the streets, and all this great music, and he's he's coming in, and woo, you know, go Commodus for beating beating the enemy. It was he was expecting that, right? He was expecting to to roll up into Rome and be celebrated. But the political situation of that triumvirate had changed. And being away for eight years, because he was gone for eight years, 58 BCE to 50 BCE, Pompey and Crassus had basically cut him out of his triumvirate and weren't going to give him his glory. And for a general who's out there fighting for eight years to get glory for Rome, A, to make Rome look better, but B, personal glory, to be denied that glory, he was like, oh, hell no. Right? Yeah, that's not going to fly. <laughs> Absolutely not. So this is where he makes a crucial decision, a crucial decision that we call crossing the Rubicon, right? Which this is a phrase that some people have heard. It's not as popular nowadays, but to cross the Rubicon means to make a decision that you can't turn back from, right? To cross the Rubicon. And where it comes from is there was literally a river on the border of Rome the city of Rome, at least, called the Rubicon River. And when you cross that river, you are technically in the city of Rome. Now, Caesar comes back and he's stationed on the the not Roman side of, of the Rubicon with his troops. And he's basically told, you're not welcome. You're not welcome. Uh-oh. Because they feared his power. They feared that dude would come across and he'd be all Mr. Macho Machismo. I just took down the Gauls. I'm taking over Rome. And they were probably right to think that, by the way, because that's exactly what he ended up doing. But they basically <laughs> told him, you can't come back home, right? Like, you're not in charge anymore. We kick you out of power. Um, if you cross the Rubicon River, if you come into Rome, we will see it as an act of war. And yeah. Caesar was like, well, 
I guess it's war. And so Caesar crosses the Rubicon, literally and metaphorically. He crosses the Rubicon. It was January 10th, 49 BCE. So he kind of camped out for a little while, beginning of the new year. He crosses and he begins another Roman civil war. So we had that Marius Sulla one I referenced earlier, which kind of called into question the loyalty of troops. But now Caesar's doing it and his troops aren't loyal to Rome. They are loyal to him. Right. Right. Yeah. They've been out there fighting for eight years. Caesar built all these walls and they, they, they're this close knit group and he promised them land and money and spoils. And they're not loyal to Rome. They're loyal to Caesar, who was yeah. an incredible, incredible general. So long story short, Caesar invades. He wins the war and he basically takes power. Pompey flees. He runs to Egypt and Caesar later sends assassins to murder him. Sorry, Pompey, I guess. Right? He flees. Yeah, he's gone. Crassus didn't last. Yeah, Pompey out. Pompey gone. Um, (laughs) And uh, Caesar was the only one left of the original triumvirate. And he's just like, well, my Rome now. And he just rules. And the Senate, of course, is really uh, troubled (laughs) by the immense amount of power that Caesar has, not only politically, but also the threat of his military, which is loyal to him not Rome, and that's where we get our famous story of Caesar being assassinated, basically, uh, in right. the Senate. It doesn't take long. It's only five years after he he comes back to Rome triumphant and claims the victory that he was denied, but he's stabbed to death in the Senate um, by, uh, what what are their names? Brutus. Brutus and Cassius. Yeah. Yeah, which he, I hope he said that. I hope that really happened. It wasn't just like Shakespeare making it up. But, um, not too not too long ago, that was on the Ides of March, so the 15th of March in 44 BCE, due to stabbed a ton of times, it's made super famous, Yeah, uh, it just bleeds out on the floor of the Senate, and like, goodbye, Caesar out, Oof. you know? Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. but that that wasn't enough to stop, because the, the sort of empire train has gotten into motion, and, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that train stops just because you stab a guy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So what ends up happening after Caesar is stabbed to death is they form the second triumvirate. Uh, and by they, I mean Mark Antony, right, who was who was involved in the Battle of Alesia. Mark Antony kind of comes into the picture. He gets together with Cleopatra, Ooh. the Cleopatra, Ooh. who, Ooh. by the way, that's the ex I'm talking about. Cleopatra and Julius Caesar <laughs> used to be an item. Oh my god get in the bag i like oh it god. she's playing all angles like i, I can't is, i can't fault it this is very 21st century like relationship <laughs> drama yeah but, so like julius caesar and cleopatra are dating and then they broke up and then caesar gets stabbed goodbye and then mark anthony's like "Ooh, girl you cute right <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> that wasn't a good move for him in the end but mark anthony who who helped at alicia who took Julius Caesar's ex, he becomes one of the leaders of Rome. And then two other guys, Marcus Lepidus, you can forget about him, he was he was weak sauce, and a guy named Octavian. Octavian, I believe, was the nephew, or perhaps grandnephew, but I'm pretty sure nephew of Julius Caesar, so related to the family. So right. the three of them rule once again, but they are all backstabbers. Not literally this time. They had nothing to do with Caesar being stabbed in the back. But they, they all just instantly squabble and fight against each other. Um... Mark Antony runs away to Egypt, like Pompey, which is interesting. Uh, Mark Antony runs away to Egypt to be with Cleopatra. He ends up being murdered down there. Um, Marcus Lepidus, the guy you can forget, he got killed too. Nothing exciting about him. Uh, They're all killed. Um, Their heads are chopped off and sent to Rome. 
And the only one, yeah, right? Like proof that they're dead. <laughs> the only one that's left is Octavian, Caesar's nephew or grandnephew. I can't remember. I think it's his nephew, cousin nephew. It's it's a weird, slightly incestuous relationship. Yeah, it's like one of those. Like, <laughs> one it's of those hard to pin that one down. My grandpa's <laughs> also my nephew kind of deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably best not to ask. Um, but he's the only one left. He decides to take the name um, Augustus. Right, because it sounds way better than Octavian. It does not eat of him. I don't know. It's kind of Branding. weird. Octavian, weird. Yeah, that's weird. So he takes, <laughs> yeah, right. So he becomes Caesar Augustus. Caesar, at this point, becomes a title, right? Because Julius Caesar was just so epic that Caesar is now a title. He takes the name Caesar Augustus. He becomes the sole leader of Rome in 27 BCE and officially becomes Rome's first empire or emperor rather right. and Rome at that point 27 BCE becomes an empire until it eventually collapses the western side of Rome at least in 476 to the Goths right not like yeah. the early 2000s Goths <laughs> I was about to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Germanic the Germanic yeah, Goths yeah. the Ostrogoths the Visigoths who sack Rome in 476 yeah. and to appease any listeners out there yes i know that some people say that rome survived with the byzantine empire until 1453 but like we're just talking about the city of rome okay relax so, <laughs> um and so so that's it caesar caesar like not only is the battle of alicia a story of like the championship of engineering but it, it's also this really really pivotal moment in history where we start to see the changes from a rome based on a senate with a military loyal to it to a Rome now based on an emperor and a military loyal to him. So it's like this really interesting dual story of history and engineering. And it's like so fascinating. Amazing. And just to tie up kind of the my final loose end, like what what all happened? You mentioned Vercingetorix got executed. Is there is there any kind of a, you know, showmanship here? Like did we get like one of those, you know, sort of uh, William Wallace style execution oh, uh, kind no. of deals. Freedom. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, unfortunately, not. Um, he. So we don't know too too much. So I was actually before, but when we were just warming up, I was talking to Anna about this movie that I watched when I was younger. Mm-hmm. It's if anybody's interested in really bad TV movies. <laughs> Always <laughs> a TV movie. It's from two thousand and two. Uh, it's called Julius Caesar. It's just really imaginative name. And it's listen, it's got it's got Mr. Big from Sex in the City, okay? And Whoa. it's also got it's got Christopher Walken in it, okay? So it might be worth watching. I'm sold. And then uh, one of the Law and Order guys, what's his name? Jeremy Sisto, who is one of the original Law and Order guys as Caesar. He's not great, but no offense, Jeremy Sisto. Oh. But it's yeah, he's an active listener. Caesar Caesar is like he, I, hey, you never know, right? Caesar's supposed know. to be this commanding presence, right? And he just it's he does his Law and Order bit and it doesn't work. But the movie, I actually really like it, even though it's definitely a made-for-TV movie. Um, now, in that movie, it suggests that Vercingetorix, it's like Caesar visited him in jail and they had these talks as both great generals and there was this mutual respect. We don't have any evidence of that at all, unfortunately. Aww. Here's that's a little here's, too here's dramatic. What it says. Yeah, right. <laughs> And I'm just straight reading off the internet right now. Vercingetorix was imprisoned in Rome for almost six years before Oof. being publicly displayed in the first of Caesar's four triumphs. Because once Caesar came back, he he like held four triumphs for himself because he was right. It's like you guys didn't one's give me not one. good enough. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna have four. Just yeah, yeah. guys, four triumphs. And he was quote ceremonially strangled end Ooh. quote uh, at at a temple after one of the triumphs. Um, and then. Yeah, so there, uh, apparently he was he was 
ceremonially strangled in 46, but there's also a record that suggests he was beheaded back in 49 BCE, so God knows. But yeah, uh, right. <laughs> no, unfortunately, he didn't get his time in the sun. He was just killed for the sake of Rome's <laughs> greatness. Like, look at this dude yeah. that we took down, and now we're going to kill. Go Romans. Woo. Man. Woo. Go team. <laughs> we Go did team. it. <laughs> Woo. Woo. We we uh we let a bunch of women and children die between some <laughs> some really well built walls. Woo! We great. Good job. Absolutely. Uh, Damn. And then the yeah, Roman but... equivalent of Lockheed Martin was like punching the air, like Go <laughs> 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 Going generic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was yeah, he was just he was either strangled or beheaded, or maybe both. I don't know. You can do both. Uh in Rome yeah. just to, to yeah, prove once and for all who is the victor in this story, and it was the Romans. Yeah, the yeah. battle wasn't enough, I guess they <laughs> <laughs> It's like, no guys, we really nailed it. <laughs> but I don't I don't think the the real victor were the Romans. I think it's the engineering. Oh hell yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an empire comes and goes, great engineering is forever. Literally. Because Literally uh, for those, the Romans, yeah. Yeah, for the Romans, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, anybody wants to do a little uh, research on Roman concrete. Oh, I know we're oh, still yeah. good. To, so cool. Yeah, yeah. We're still figuring that out to this day. Yeah, our concrete is stupid it, because we have no idea. As, as far as I'm aware, I'm not an engineer. I'm a historian and I, I was a teacher by trade. But as far as I'm aware, the concrete we build, we build to be like one solid inert piece of block, right? But Roman concrete was built purposefully so it would fracture, and then the mm. crystals within it would mix with the seawater, and it would form an even stronger fix. Yeah. Um. So it would it would it would stand the test of time. Our concrete is dumb and just cracks yeah. every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. I don't know if you either of you have read Anti Fragile, but it's like that's like the perfect encapsulation of what anti fragility is. It's like when you like yeah. try to break it, it actually just makes it stronger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just it's engineering. Honestly, the Romans were. I mean, think about. And, and if we're not talking engineering of war too, like classic Roman engineering, like the aqueducts. aqueducts. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Love, Love we those have things. They're still it. there. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. yeah, the Colosseum is still there. And the Colosseum has fallen apart, not because of the engineering, but because of human action breaking yeah. it in times of war. Like same thing, same thing with the Greeks. Had we not completely destroyed the Parthenon by exploding it from the inside, <laughs> it would probably look the same as it, as it did back in the day because the engineering was just so structurally sound. Yeah. And they, the uh, Romans even knew to use like circular pipes for like water and like distributing water and waste before like anyone else did, which is so interesting because it's like the most efficient way of, of sending water in or out. Yeah. Really fascinating stuff. And then and then they fell, and then we entered the Dark Ages, and things got really sketchy for a while. Yeah. And we <laughs> and it, it took a long time to get back to some kind of a similar level to what the Romans had built. But it just we're still finding out. Like the Roman concrete thing, that was recent. That was like within a month yeah. or two ago. We're still finding out that the Romans are still better than us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been like two thousand years, you know what I mean? And they still kick our butts. And they're still better than us. There, there's an expression we say a lot on the podcast, which I don't know where I heard it, but it was like, it, it's only true of modern engineers, really, uh, to the extent that it is true. But it's, it's, uh, it goes like, anybody can build something that works. It takes an engineer to build something that barely works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, man, is it too much to ask just to return to the Roman Empire? <laughs> I mean, I, as a woman, no. um, <laughs> 
I think I'm better off in 2023. <laughs> yeah, actually. Than stuck between between stuck between the walls of uh, Alicia. Oh, there. Yeah, fair enough. Starving to death. <laughs> speak for yourself. I would speak for yourself. I would have gotten femboys. I would have gotten loads of femboys. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Do, when in Rome, right? When in Rome. <laughs> or um, when in Gaul, have a fabulous mustache, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That that I hope is still open to me. Um and and it kind of the world's greatest segue here. I we did want to talk about kind of here at the end, you know, the extent to which warfare and engineering like, you know, I uh, maybe this is kind of some red meat I could throw out to to have you guys comment on. I would rather have uh the greater engineering talent and a less talented fighting force. I think that's what we saw here. I think the Gauls are the more talented fighting force in this scenario, but the engineering was just was just sick on the Roman side, so that they ended up winning. What 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 are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I I I definitely agree with that. I think using not just engineering, but just like like tactics to sort of like defeat your enemy is much like smarter way of going about warfare and i mean paul and i are really into the into the mandalorian and like they they kind of are like the spartan like you know sort of like militaristic culture and something that i really also like about um din Djarin specifically is he uses his surroundings like against whoever he's fighting whoever he's fighting Again, I'm really sorry. We're nerds. I, you know, we were born into the engineering life. We didn't choose it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think with Caesar's forces, it was very clear that he was using his strengths um, in favor of, of warfare. And I think, honestly, it it probably like ha- like it probably stopped the the fighting for like it could have gone on for years and years and years. And who knows how many mm-hmm. other people how many more people would have died? You know, maybe it was, you know, I mean, this is horrible to say, but maybe those Alicia townspeople, you know, it's bad that they died, but like it, it prevented maybe like more hundreds of thousands of people from from dying. And I think we can- No, 100%. Yeah, and we can see that even in maybe warfare today. And also like, especially with modern technology, a lot of it is used um, in in normal society, like- it, in favor of like uh maybe not up- uplifting or anything like that but like it it helps modern society like i think of like the autobahn and world war ii and that's another thing that we have a problem with uh the ehp podcast is we always go back to world war ii for some reason kind of how like you always end up talking about cannibalism that's always that's our kryptonite <laughs> But <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to just state definitively I don't think the Nazi regime no. was getting the autobahn. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, <laughs> I'll just make that totally clear. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is like that sort of like German engineering and road work also, you know, is is still used today, and it's still used as like sort of like a basis of how like good engineering and wartime can be used to help uh, people in modern times now. No, yeah, and I, and I, for sure. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're kind of, you know, sparking in me kind of the idea that, you know, as in sort of the, the Nazi regime and, and the <laughs> okay. Roman Empire and all these things, and I'm, I'm just pulling it as an example, like engineering and, and sort of technology in general is power, right? And what you do with power is what really matters, right? So, you know, there's probably a world in which the Germans and, and the Romans, you know, 
I don't know, maybe applied that technology and that and that power maybe more productively, right? So mm. at the end of the day, the I think the role of human choice is often overlooked, but maybe is is maybe the most important thing. Yeah. And and a lot of it too is access to resources. I mean, clearly clearly the Roman Republic at this point had access to resources across its vast land holdings to be able to apply this engineering. And and I think Anna is right that without the engineering, like a hundred percent the Romans probably would have lost this battle. They were outnumbered, right? The geography was working against them. It's because of the engineering that they were able to divert the water away, make use of the landscape, build those walls. And without those things, they probably would have lost. Yeah, I'm again, I'm not in favor of killing innocent women and children and elderly, but you know, just I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. just unfortunate that a good mustache couldn't just wing the battle. I know. You know? I know. Yeah, damn. It's not if about that was style, the case, I guess. Wouldn't yeah. have even been a competition. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, on that note, uh, I think that's all I had. Thanks yeah. uh, for joining us, Kelly, for this one. Yeah, this it was, was super fun. So fun. Yeah, I had yeah, a great definitely. time. Yeah, Sweet. me too. Me too. This is really fun. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've all learned a lot today about the the blending of history and engineering, and well, I mean that's the title of your podcast, right? The Engineering History Podcast. But you know they're they're so they're so intricately linked together, and this is a really good example of how engineering enabled this really historic battle, uh, which made a huge difference in the history of Rome, really, because had Caesar, I don't know, died on the battlefield, things could have gone completely, completely differently. I mean, would we have yeah. even had an empire? I mean, it's, it's wild right to think about um but yeah super super awesome topic really fun uh great mustaches all around <laughs> 10 and, out of 10 uh, mustaches 10 out of 10 yeah. 10 out of 10 mustache i feel like we should yeah. go back to uh warfare the warfare tactic tactic of fighting in the nude i feel like that would i think we need to bring that back <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those I things mean- that would work if everyone agreed to it you know when well, you if, think like, about it. If, if there was i mean battles nowadays are, are all warfare it's all drones yeah. right it's, it's right you know there's no more like great pitched battles anymore on, on a field but can you imagine if there was one and like one team just showed up naked i mean that would definitely <laughs> be such a mind it would, confuse. That would mess with me oh it would be gosh. confusing i'd be like can i should i i feel like i shouldn't look i, just, I know <laughs> it's like i'm just gonna close my eyes i'm still shooting but i'm closing my eyes <laughs> So just focus on the mustache. Just yeah. look up. Right, right. The mustache. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, awesome. well uh, yeah, great uh, doing this. Yeah, this is awesome. This is yeah. a lot of fun. All right. And I hope you guys at home had fun too. I hope we learned a lot about both engineering and history. Um, you need to definitely check out the Engineering History Podcast. They post pretty much every week, which is awesome. And, and that's uh, and that's two times, three times for the A Popular History of Unpopular Things podcast. Uh, let me reiterate, me and Anna are We are huge giant, giant fans. fans. Huge, huge fans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So yeah, I love yours too. Oh. I think it's just, it's it's a really natural marriage of engineering oh, yeah. and history. And, and this totally made sense and I had a great time. Yeah. So thank you for inviting that's me yeah. on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for... Thanks for you having us on. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And everybody at home, have a lovely day. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.